Welcome to the Missouri Wind and Solar Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Shank, coming to you from our store in Seymour, Missouri. Each week with my co-host and Missouri Wind and Solar's general manager, David McDerris, we discuss the latest on self-reliant energy. Check out our additional educational information, including dates for our hands-on workshops conducted in Seymour, on our website, windandsolar.com. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and if you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing. Okay, we're going to go with our second installment where we're talking about the we do off-grid Palooza, the off-grid house that Crystal and I have now been able to live in for a good little while. We've got Sam here with us today because he was the guy that set up our mechanical room here at the house. We're going to pick his brain on how he decided what we were going to do and how it's set up. And again, I'll start out to begin with, per Crystal, we're supposed to tell your dog I said hi. We're going to make sure we got that at the beginning and end so that I don't get in trouble. So Sam, tell us about kind of how you decided what we were going to do and the products that you put okay. in the house. Yeah. So, you know, to backtrack, I haven't had a chance to listen to the first installment yet, so I may recap some things you already did. Gosh, Sam, you're not um, supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> but, you know, what we started off with, and David and I kind of discussed it a little bit off and on about, you know, what your loads we anticipated would be, because we set everything up before the house was even really going. So we looked at dryers, washers, lights. We did a lot of real good educated estimates based on what we've seen with appliances and how you and Crystal already live. So with that, I forget exactly what the calculation came up to, but it was around like we wanted to be able to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 kilowatt hours per day, basically the standard for a regular home. And we actually shot just a little bit over that with your overall battery bank at right around 100 kilowatt hours, but that gives you a little bit of wiggle room in case you use some more power and this and that. The other thing we looked at, which is you know to get into the reason why we had three radians as opposed to just one or two, has to do with dynamic loads and what actually happens in a home, right? So you and I were out there the other day, and we were doing some tests like, hey, what does the dryer actually pull? So we turned it on, and it's 6,000 watts, almost an entire radian to itself in terms of actual running energy. So let's back up for folks that may not know, what is a radian? So the Outback Radian, in this case, specifically the GS4048, or I'm sorry, the 8048A, is an 8,000 watt. Yeah, I was going to say it's the 8048 because yeah, I paid for yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, the 8048A is an 8,000 watt continuous running inverter that technically has a 12 kilowatt surge for like a half a second to two seconds, depending on the type of load that's applied. So the nice thing about the Radian versus a lot of other inverters is that you can stack them together, meaning that you can have multiple inverters in one breaker box powering the same load. To get into the technical side of it a little bit more for a moment, you know, and with inverters and power inverters, or really AC power in general, you have to keep it all in phase, meaning that if you've got leg one and then leg two, you have to keep all your legs oscillating at the exact same frequency, 60 hertz, but they have to do it at the same time. If I just took two inverters off the shelf and they were, you know, just say an Ames inverter or something, good inverter would run a load, but then I tried to make 220 out of them, it wouldn't actually work because I couldn't get the phases to line up. I couldn't okay. make them do it that way. And so at the house, we have just, again, our overall load we're looking at. So mm-hmm. we've got a well pump mm-hmm. that's running 220. Mm-hmm. We've got the dryer that's running 220. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it, isn't it? Or is there? I think those are your primary 220 loads. You had one more auxiliary, which is your heating and air. The blower fan on that yeah, is yeah, 110, yeah, yeah. but you do have the ability to run that's that right. heat pump the, the, on 220. external is 220. Yes, yeah, the external is 220. So your AC unit would also be. So 
we weren't really necessarily concerned about any individual load, but if you were running a load of clothes and you needed to also wash clothes, so you're washing and drying simultaneously, the air conditioning's on, and you need to open a garage door, we needed enough power available for all these things to happen at once. And like I say, it was theoretically possible for you to need three radians. I think you've done that one time on all of your I think it's because we were trying to do yeah, it true. in there. Like I say, but, but that is, you know, your requirement when you came to me and said, design me a system for my house, you said, I don't want to have to think about what I'm running, just make it run. I said, well, okay. So that's what we did was we went with three radians to make sure it could always run. And so what is happening is if we had radian one, radian two, radian three. Right. So day in and day out, uh-huh. I mean, we've got you know, the clock on the oven is always on. Okay. So Radian 1 is always supplying that. That's correct, yeah. So they're set up in the technical terminology that Outback uses as a master and slave configuration, right? So you've got a primary inverter, the master inverter, inverter 1, that is the unit that will drive all of your smaller loads. And then we have a second and third that are stacked in through the hub, which is their communications unit. It's basically kind of like a networking system. It's a router is what it essentially is. And that's all controlled through the Outback Mate 3S, which is the brains of the unit essentially. And so I have set that up through their programming guide, which is available online, to where each inverter will fire consecutively based on demand. Right, So you've got your first inverter, the master. If you exceed 6,500 watts, I think is where I set it, if you exceed that, the second inverter will go ahead and go out of what we'll call power saving mode or sleep mode, and it will begin act- to activate. And if your load continues to climb and it gets up over about 14, it's going to go ahead and fire that third radian up. So the others are technically there waiting, but they're not using that much energy unless there's a demand for it. So am I wearing out my first one? Is Not really, because we're not pushing it all that hard on a regular basis. The cooling fans don't just scream all the time. The way you'd be wearing it out would be if you were constantly going into a surge capacity, and you're really not hitting that surge on any of these units, even with all of them going. Okay. So, it, so if I was running my jams all day long? You probably still wouldn't <laughs> cause any trouble. Okay. And then on the FM100s, we did one FM100 per tracker. That way we're able to keep all the panels and, oriented. And my FM100 is a... It's a charge controller. It's a charge controller, mm-hmm. all right? Yeah, so we're using each FM100 per array. There's several different reasons we want to do that, but the biggest one is if you have panels that are pointed even slightly differently, which all the trackers pretty well follow this on identically, you end up having a, a reduction in power. So by splitting them up to where each tracker is on its own FM100, not only do you build in redundancy, but you provide optimal charging out of each tracker. Okay. So when I see the little blue flashing light telling me that they're in float, right? Uh Uh-huh. So the fact that they may be flashing at different speeds may indicate that they're in a different sort of sequence, and that's a good reason. Well, the flashing itself, right, they're all programmed to the exact same voltages as far as when they're going to flash. But each one was turned on a second or two different from the others. So the actual rate of the blink is going to be the same, but they may be alternated slightly, right? It'd be like if you turn two watches on, you know, unless you time it to where the second hand exactly matches when you do it, they're going to be slightly off. But the rate of charge and the state of charge between the three different units should be identical at all times within a second or two. Okay. And so what runs all of this together is the mate and hub, right? Yeah. So again, you know, the hub is where all the connections are made, all the different ports, which we're using a hub 10.0 for you out there. And then the mate is what really controls all that. So, so the mate if is I'm critical. looking at the unit, the hub is actually, looks like a regular switch, right? Yeah, it's where it the Ethernet like cables switch. come into. Mm-hmm. 
and then the mate is actually the, the unit with the display on it. That yes, that's the one that's there that we've got your you know your password there to access it and everything written beside it, so you can access all that information and go in and see the history and that sort of right. stuff. Right, and it's showing at any time what's coming in from the panels, what's going out to the uh, yes, or what's actually what's being pulled out of the batteries yeah, it'll to show the inverter out of the batteries to the inverter. Go so it won't actually show active inverter because it shows battery to inverter, which is the same thing as the inverter load minus. 60 watts for inverter inefficiencies. Okay. All right. So give me some ideas of why we went with the Outback. So the biggest reason we went with the Outback is reliability. I, I know you, you talked yeah. about the fallover, basically. was a yeah. big Yeah, the ability to have that fallover and reliability, right? Outback has been around for a long time. They make very high-quality equipment. You know, if somebody's got a little off-grid project and, you know, it's kind of important that I have some lights and that I have a fan, most equipment's going to do that. But if you're coming to me and say, hey, I want to live off the grid and I want this to always work, I need something that is extremely reliable and that is easy to work with. It's easy to understand. The interface is user-friendly, right? There's a lot of different brands of equipment out there, but Outback has been one of the best, right? As, as far as its proven track record, its good technical support, and the fact that the units, they're easy to work on for you as an individual, right? Let's say that you did have a cooling fan failure. If you open the cover up, it's right there. Right. And Outback can send you a fan. You don't have to send it to them because there's a safety seal. Yeah, on there, wow. Right? Taking that radiant down. We right. I mean, that would be never want to take right. one of those radians yeah, off exactly. the wall. Exactly. <laughs> and let's say, let's say you had a worse failure than that, right? You know, for some reason, your lightning arresters didn't work and you lost a radiant. Okay. Well, if that happens, the modules can be swapped. So you don't have to take the whole thing off the wall. You remove four screws and you take the little plastic cap off the battery connection and you can swap in a new module and you can get that in the mail. Right, So if you do need to work on it, which everything man makes eventually needs repair, the fact that it's easy for you as an individual to service is also important. So those are the primary reasons we went with that, and it was a good fit for your needs. Right, We didn't need to have anything that was going to produce three-phase, so we didn't have a need to go with, say, a Solark, where that's much more common because they're easier to stack for three-phase in some of the Outback systems. So it was a combination of reliability and what your actual needs were that we went with that. Now... This system as it sits, could it be grid tied? It could, yes. You know, so if you wanted to bring the grid in, we'd make some minor changes to your breaker box and it could be set up with a complete grid tie to send all the power you're making back to the grid. Okay. And then it could also accommodate a gas generator too, yes. correct? Yeah, it could actually the way it's set up, it could accommodate up to three gas or diesel generators because again we have the multiple radians. Another thing you had wanted to touch on was redundancy when you said, you know, I want to be able to do this. That's another reason we went with the multiple radian systems is that 85% of the time, unless you're trying, you're never going to use more than two. So, And if you had to, you could run any one appliance on just one. So being able to have not only the backup generator or the grid, but that additional redundancy of multiple units versus one great big unit, that's one of the many reasons that we went with it. So one of the things that, as you both know, we're looking at doing, we've got some testing that we're doing on a component that we hope to announce very shortly, but we don't have wind out there yet for a very specific reason but when we bring wind into this how will wind fit into this configuration okay so the way we're going to include wind into this is going to be directly on the battery side so wind will not integrate into your fm100s or your radian in this case what we're actually going to use is going to be our vrd board with a midnight on it 
so that we can directly tie the turbine into the battery bank. And the VRD is the voltage-reducing device. Yes, the voltage-reducing device. So we've been selling that unit for a long time, very popular, really increases your turbine efficiency, usually on average by about 30% over a traditional diversion controller. But the important factor for us here on that, besides the efficiency increase, is the lithium batteries you've got, right? So you've got the prismatic battery bank that we put together for you. But in order to charge lithiums with wind, we can't just use a regular old controller. We've got to have that current regulation that the Midnight provides. Okay. So the turbine's going to produce the power. It's going to come in through the Midnight. Midnight's going to regulate that going out to the batteries. Yes. And but we'll, then and then on the battery side of it, the Outback system is just going to see that as there's a change in the batteries. I don't care where that, it came from. That's correct. Yes. And that's another reason that we went with, that we did not use the FlexNet DC from Outback and that we chose to go that way. So with battery voltage, we can use the top end level as a full point on lithium batteries, even though lower than that, it's, it's kind of questionable. But because they're all programmed the same, so we would program the midnight and the Outback to all the same charge voltage as far as our bulk slash absorb and then our float voltage, they use battery voltage as a simplistic method of communication. End of the day, since we charged it with the wind versus the solar, it knows that. If we were to use a different method, such as battery state of charge on a percentage gauge, not built into your BMSs like what we're using there, you would end up with a discrepancy and the meters wouldn't read properly. And that's an interesting thing So that we did. And if I get this wrong, you correct me on this. One of the things that we ended up doing was we rolled the low end of the voltage way back on the mate. And we're more relying on the BMS to tell us when the battery shuts down, correct? Yes, because the factory low end on the mate was extremely high. And so that was something that we decided would be better to simply use the BMS for because the odds of you actually hitting that with a 100-kilowatt battery bank are almost zero. I mean, there's very, very low likelihood that you'll do that and not notice it within days. I mean, you've got three days of 30 kilowatt hours. I mean, it's, it's the same as such as David's actual you know, regular house on the grid averages around 30 to 40 kilowatt hours from the discussions we've had. You've got the same amount of power as he does. There's very little reason you can't do certain things short of if you have a really extreme demand. You know, if you had to do 10 loads of clothes, well, now the law of averages isn't in your favor anymore and you're going to use 60 kilowatts on your battery bank. You can't get away with that, but if you're maintaining a regular lifestyle, you can do most of what you need. You still want to try to do load rotation and keep everything during daylight hours if you can because you're reducing the cycle depth on your battery, which just increases the life. And because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, you're able to make sure that you're ready to approach that in the best position possible. So, again, if we've got the wells running and Um, the dryers running and the AC is running during the middle of the day, is that power... It's still floating across the batteries, isn't it? Basically, yeah, but it's kind of just, it touches them and bounces and skips right off, right? It's going immediately so to it's not, the So it's not really counting as like a cycle it's through those? It's a cycle. And another important factor that I don't know if we've touched on lately or if we did forgotten is that cycles with a lead-acid battery is any charge and discharge cycle short of just bouncing it off and float. According to lithium battery manufacturers, a cycle is a full charge and discharge cycle. So if you look at the cycle, so going, down to like two, going, two? Down, going down to zero and then back up, or accumulative amp hours thereof. So you would have to use the entirety of your amp hours in a charge and discharge before it counts as a cycle. Really? Which is another reason to keep your state of charge as high as possible because you're still limiting that cycle. So when we're talking about a prismatic battery with, say, a four to 6,000 cycle life, if you're only cycling it five times a month, you've got 
decades worth of usage that you should be able to get out of that battery before it fails. Because it doesn't, it's not counted. Because it's not counted as a full cycle. Exactly. Versus with a lead acid, especially if you don't get a full charge, you can actually have more than one cycle worth of damage done in a day or age, I guess I should say, versus damage. That's really where we're going back to the old batteries that you talked about, a battery having a memory. Yeah, like a NICAD that has an extreme memory effect. Huh, Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so whenever you go home and you look at your cycle number, it'll probably say something like 12. It's not going to be a very high cycle number, even though it's been in service for over a month. Oh, okay. All right, what else do we need to talk about about that configuration that we did in there overall? Other than those radians. They're heavy. We never want to, we never want to take a radian off. I mean, they're heavy. find the relative you hate the most, and that's who you need to that get. That was me. <laughs> I wonder why you left me here at the store for Jeez, that, Wes. That thing was. It was because I was done having kids. <laughs> they, I mean, we've, they we've touched heavy. on why we had so many. We've touched on why you need the different controllers you've got. I assume you went over trackers and everything like that. Yeah, we've talked decision about making there. I tell you, one of the interesting things that you've told me, I would want to float out here too. The power that we're generating here, incredibly clean, right? From a yes, from a uh, yeah, hertz elect- standpoint, from a from a frequency standpoint, it is incredibly clean power. Yeah. Also, because of the number of radians and how we have them stacked together, you should see very minimal dips in voltage. I mean, there'll still be some, like if a compressor kicks on, you may see the bulb blink for a second. But it's very clean and very stable. And in many ways, it's cleaner than grid power because of the fact that there's no potential for some kid down the road to be driving drunk and hit a power pole, right? I mean, there's no change in your voltage that can occur because of how stable the battery voltage is and how stable the output of the inverters are. We won't call out specific names or that sort of thing, but we ran into a situation where one of our vendors was really thrown for a loop and do one of his installs and was really concerned that it was solar and everything. And Oh, the, the air conditioning. Well, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah one, one of the household items. <laughs> one of the household items. Yeah. So the question, yeah, because you had me go out there because it said low voltage and this and that, there was this concern about it. So I went and took a look at it and it was like, well, you know, here's all the frequencies. Everything's clean. Turns out it was just a loose connection on their board that was causing yeah, the problem. It was, what was interesting though was that the concern was that it had to do with... With the inverter. I mean, it, with yeah. The alternative energy setup right. in, yes, in particular. Right. It wasn't yeah. really... But it was just like, oh, this is different. And that's when Sam and I had the initial conversation about, yeah, you I mean, know, this is actually that, probably cleaner than anything that's coming yeah, across. There's, the- there's very little potential for an inverter in general, right? And this question comes up sometimes with our sun tax and other things like, you know, what happens during these different conditions? Well, inverters, being a digital device like they are, they pretty well either work or they don't, right? There's very little fluctuation in frequency and voltage. Because they're set to produce that. And if they go outside those ratings, they shut off due to alarm features. So there's no real potential for your inverter to create massive surges or things of that nature because of the way they're made. If you did have a catastrophic failure, the inverter is going to fault and or there simply will be no AC at all because it'll shut off. Right. If there's a problem with the batteries, well, the batteries provide power to the inverter. It can't provide low voltage. The inverter just doesn't work. Right, that's simply the nature of how they operate. And, and I would, I would even say, as we were going through some of our growing pains and getting this all set up, we had that happen a few times. Nothing was damaged, you know. Mm-hmm. No one was hurt in the production of that. I yeah. mean, the inverters shut off, did what they were supposed to. We scrolled, actually, we scrolled through the mate, mm-hmm. found out what the error message was telling mm-hmm. us. Yep. We went and fixed it and moved mm-hmm. on. I mean, so it really is a even when some bad things happen. It did exactly what it was supposed to do mm-hmm. and it protected the system. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you haven't dealt with it yet, if you're a customer and you haven't delved into the actual installation and using renewable energy, that's a very common thing for people to say if they're not in any way have worked with renewable energy before that the number one thing they want to do is blame it on renewable energy they think that must be the problem it can't be their systems it has to be the system that's powering it we've had this not with with just customers we've had this with vendors we've had this with all kinds of people that it must be the way you're powering it must be the renewable energy portion and as sam said that's not the case that's at all. never been the case it's, it's never the case it's not the renewable energy system it's a problem either in the unit that you're running through the inverter or it's like sam said it's a loose connection i mean you know that's the number one thing that's wrong with systems by the way either in ac systems or in dc systems it's loose connections dc systems you really have to you know we've always talked about never set it and forget it in dc systems when you come through especially like this cold weather we just came through and you have your system in an area that is not heated and cooled and you take a room down to zero degrees and you have this energy that's being produced during the day, and everything's getting really hot, and then at night, there's no energy being produced. And so everything starts to contract. So during the day, that copper swelled, and it may have backed off that screw a bit or you know expanded that cavity. And then when it starts to contract away, now then you start having fall. And, you, and the next day, you get up, and you're like, I can't figure it out because it's all working fine now. And that's the number one cause of that is because of loose connection. And it's due to heat, heating and cooling. You know, It's kind of like a house. <laughs> An old house that you don't live in, and you're like, man, that thing just dilapidated in no time. And that's the same reason why is that expansion and contraction make a very, very hard, especially electrical systems, and especially yeah. in the D.C. where we're running a lot of amperage, so a lot of heat's running through that. Yeah, and to touch on the reason for the stability of systems like this, right, all generation sources, with the exception of solar that you see on the grid scale, are mechanical methods of generation. You don't realize it when you turn on a light switch, but that energy wasn't in existence as anything other than potential mechanical energy somewhere at a power plant until you flip the switch, right? So the energy is instantly generated and transmitted to you. The reason you see such huge voltage transients and surges back and forth on grid-based systems because of an outage or this or that is because it changes the speed of that generator turbine somewhere, right? right? I mean, somebody blows up a power substation somehow by shorting a wire out, the reason your lights blinked is because the voltage dropped across because of what they just did, and it happened with that mechanical change of that turbine, right? So with these renewable energy systems, with solar specifically, you have no moving parts. So any voltage fluctuation that occurs in a panel is gradual if you actually watch one as a cloud or something passes over. Right. But not only that, you've got the batteries. The energy is already in existence. It's stored. A chemical reaction occurs at a very stable rate. So there's very little fluctuation in these pieces of equipment, and any malfunction that occurs in an inverter or something like that immediately causes a safety shutoff. So it's not like you get a low-voltage event and then it faults on the AC side. If the inverter doesn't get the power that it wants, either high or low from the batteries, it simply turns off. So it's no different than flipping a light switch. It turns off instantaneously. You know, Northstar, who we actually carry here at the store to explore batteries, the AGM, that was one of their big projects, and one of their big projects in the United States is they use their batteries for frequency regulation. Condition in the grid. Uh, they condition the grid mm-hmm. because as more renewables come online, they had to slow down those turbines. So, And, in fact, they're slowing down the frequency because that's all the frequency is, is how fast that turbine is spinning and what rotation that turbine is spinning. So as they slowed down the turbine, they had to be able to, instead of everybody's hertz going down to 50, they had to keep that at 60, and with that battery banks, they're able to do that. 
Yep. So that's kind of, that's where energy, you can like renewable energy, you can hate renewable energy. Either way, it's in the market today and it's never going away. It's only to grow and batteries are going to be a huge, huge portion of this, yeah. you know, as it goes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's in all of the, I mean, you listen to CNBC, Bloomberg. Yeah. I mean, the big things they're talking about are cobalt, lithium mining. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's a big lithium mining. I wish I had a whole mine underneath my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, anything else we need to talk about the mechanical room? No, I think that pretty well covers it, Wes. I, right. I can't think of anything else we haven't discussed. I mean, if you're interested in doing this, reach out to Sam. He was out with hanging over the system, and he didn't push the radians up on the wall, no, but I he was that. probably there in spirit. I did that. Uh, I maybe, did too. Maybe, no, maybe Wes did that. I think we both did that. Me and you it took both of us to do it. That was the story I heard. Is it we was would both start of you. to push, and then Wes would have to like crawl underneath them and like oh. lift them with his back, literally. Lies are being told. So heavy, you know. They were just so heavy. It was, <laughs> and it was and part of that is my fault because you guys said, "Well, where do you want these?" I said, "Well, get them up as high as you can because yeah. we have this battery rack. Jeez. We got to yeah, put yeah if you only them. had to have them two foot off the ground, but." But you got to access the wires on them. That's the deal. So, so Wes floor. and I, you know, we were kind of starting to question that. But after it came back and I saw it all installed after the fact, as far as the wiring, you have to get these things up in the air. They need to be at least five foot in the air. For one, they need to be up there so you don't have to bend down to work on this stuff. It's up and accessible to you at any given time. But two, there's going to be so many wires coming out of these things. You want to be able to, yeah. and you don't want to have to like crawl underneath it and, you know, and work on it laying down on your back. So, all right. Well, I think we're good. Okay. Tell your dog I said hi. Tell your dog Crystal said hi. You can reach me at extension 204. Oh, what there a nice go. plug, Sam. Way to I put mean. it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sam at windandsolar.com. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in and stick around for more episodes and we'll keep bringing them out to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast today. If you have a question you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, or just want to say hello, email us at radio at windandsolar.com. As always, check out our store at windandsolar.com and buy some stuff. Your financial support underwrites our educational outreach, like the podcast, YouTube channel, and local STEM collaboration. It also keeps Lucy and her doggy chicken treats. Thanks again for listening.